O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home, we come to you. Help us to come to you, to draw near to you so that you may draw near to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a full week um, in a lot of ways, uh, and, and I, I'm one to talk. I mean, uh, Alan and Kristen uh, welcomed Julianne, their daughter, into the world this week, and uh, so we rejoice with them. And then we had hundreds of children filling this room every day. And it was a great, great blessing to, to be with them. You know how that goes. At the end of a week, yesterday, I, I came up to my office just to sort of catch up on some things that I hadn't been able to take care of. And I called one of our members who'd been in the hospital, and uh, he's okay. But he, t- he told me a funny story about when he was in college that he studied with a, a young journalist named Dan Rather. And Dan was the editor of the school newspaper and worked at a little local radio station. It was kind of a one-man show. He did all the work himself, and he would go in and, and get things going. And, but one day, uh, he had a, a little love interest in a, a young lady who had just started working at the local diner. And so Dan had this plan. Uh, he thought he would just uh, put a record on that would last a while, and then he would go over and uh, order a hamburger at the local diner. So he put the record on. It happened to be a sermon, of all things, uh, that was on you know, record form. had to explain this in the last service a little bit, but in this service, I think you understand what I mean. And it was a record, and um, put it on the turntable, and, and uh, he, he went off, you know, closed the door and went off, and sitting there enjoying his hamburger and fellowshipping a little bit with this young lady when... The phone rang at the diner, and the owner of the diner picked it up and said, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir, right away, yes, sir. He hung up, and he said, Dan, you need to go back to the radio station. He said, well, who was he? He said it was the owner of the radio station. He said, well, what did he want? He said, you need to go back to the radio station right now. And so he went back to his car, and he started the engine, and, of course, the radio came on, and it was on that station, and the uh, record had gotten stuck. At a most untimely place, actually, the preacher had just said, if you do not repent of your sins, you will go straight to, and it began to repeat that over and over and over again. And the owner of the radio station did not think that that was a good thing to be playing over and over again. And it occurred to me that most of us like to believe in a God of justice, And we want him to bring justice and bring judgment on all sin. And we would like for it to happen summarily. Unless, of course, it is our sin. And then we are big believers in mercy. We want justice for them, but mercy for us. The people of Malachi's day were very much like that. And Malachi had a word for them that I need to share with us today. Would you open your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 2, the last verse, verse 17. We'll read through chapter 3, verse 6, just seven verses. Next week, Father's Day, we'll talk about giving our Father his honor. The week after that, we'll talk about living in a delightful land. Let's stand together. Just God, just God, 
Malachi 2, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty, but Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. You may be seated. To be talked to death is a horrible way to die. And it's amazing sometimes how people can just exhaust us by talking. You can think of um, politicians and perhaps of preachers who have just worn you out with words. But imagine exhausting the inexhaustible God the one who spoke the world into existence. Can you imagine the word ever getting tired of words? But Israel had accomplished that. They had said over and over again, like an adolescent child, the thing about God is he won't give me justice. It's just not fair, they say. And on the other hand, their spiritual leaders were leading them astray by saying, all who do evil are really good in the sight of the Lord. They're not so bad after all. And God said, when I hear these two competing ideas, it just wears me out. You want the God of justice to come? God says, okay, I will come and I will bring judgment on sin. I'll bring judgment on all sin. I'll bring judgment on their sin and I'll bring judgment on your sin. I will come like a fire like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. But who will be able to stand when I come? And when I come, he says, then I will not only purify my people, but I will testify against sin. I will rectify what is wrong. I will satisfy the oppressed. I will come. And the good news for you is, you are not destroyed because I am the same as I have always been and my heart is not to destroy you. That's not to say that God doesn't want to hear our voices. God loves to hear from us. He loves for us to pray. He loves for us just to tell him what's on our mind. But if you and I would call upon God and say, God, just bring justice, 
the God of justice, would you come into this world? I wonder if we're prepared for his justice. Is he the God of justice for us or is he just God? He says, I will come to purify these Levites. Remember, he's struggled with these priests because they have misled his people, because they have not proclaimed the truth. And so he says, I will come, and I will come like fire. That sounds like really bad news. Hebrews chapter 12 says, our God is a consuming fire. He is not to be trifled with, but I see just a glimmer of grace here, just a little bit of hope when he says, I will come like a refiner's fire. I am coming to refine you. I want to make my Levites like silver and like gold, even though some of them have given up on God. The good news is God has not given up on what he can do in them. This is good news of grace for people like us. Malachi is one in the Old Testament who teaches us, we'll see next week, that God is a father who has compassion on his children and he's going to give them an opportunity to be refined by fire. He wants us to know him and to love him and to serve him and to bring offerings of worship to him, to be living sacrifices, as Paul would write to the Roman church, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, holy and acceptable to God. But for us to be holy, God has to cleanse us with a launderer's soap, he says. He has to refine us with fire. Years ago, C.S. Lewis said, when Christianity says that God loves man, it means that God loves man. Not that he has some disinterested because really indifferent concern for our welfare, but that in awful and surprising truth, we are the objects of his love. You ask for a loving God, you have one. The great spirit you so blithely invoked, the Lord of terrible aspect is present. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible only for the comfort of his, his guests, but the consuming fire himself, the love that made the world's persistent as the artist's love for his work and despotic as a man's love for his dog, jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between women and men. You want God to love you, God will refine you. And could you pray with me the prayer that George Whitfield prayed, he who was part of that great awakening here in the United States, and he said, God, take me to your furnace again and again and again until my soul becomes transparent. And I see you as you really are. Like a a refiner takes the fire and burns all the impurity out of the gold and the silver. Are you ready for God to consume the dross in our lives? Is there any pride that needs to be burned away? Any any prejudice that must be consumed? Is there any self-centeredness? Any sins of materialism or sensuality which must be removed in order for God to use us in the way that he wants to and would you be willing to pray God whatever you have to burn out of my life for me to be right with you so that I can begin to help the world become right Lord consume that in me The God of justice comes to purify his people first so that he may 
testify against sin. Listen to what he says. There are many in our world who would say, as the scripture says, uh, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But there were those in that day who were saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Now this may have been their complaint against the evil one saying it's almost as though God thinks they're good. But when you read the list of sins that God will testify against, what you realize is the hypocrisy that is being realized among them is they're complaining about the sins of others, but they have sin in their own lives. And God says, I will testify. He is, he is the prosecuting attorney. He is the witness. He is the judge. I will testify against all sin among my people. God, the consuming fire, will take sin seriously. And he begins to list that sin. And I wondered this week if somebody from a previous generation were somehow transported to our time and sort of looked around at the moral standards of our world today, if they would not think that somebody, while we were not watching, has turned the world upside down. I did not say right side up, but upside down, where what was wrong is now considered right, and what was right is now considered wrong. I saw it in a television interview. One of those morning talk show hosts was saying to a young woman who had been in a sinful lifestyle and had come out of that lifestyle and had tried to change, but then had finally given up on changing, and she went on the news to say, I don't have to change my lifestyle at all, and the commentator said, I'm glad you've come to the place where you realized that you don't really need to change your behavior at all. Really, I said to the television screen. Really. Not anything in my behavior that I need to change at all. What a world that would be. I saw a paraphrase of the scripture that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God this week. Somebody attributed it to Shirley MacLaine in some New Age version of the Bible. I'm not sure, but that was some joke. But anyway, this was the translation. It says... For all of us have had momentary lapses and have fallen a tad shy of the divine entity's standard. Well, nobody's perfect. Don't worry. Be happy. Let me assure you that is not what that verse says. It says we have fallen short of the glorious ideal of our God. And he begins to talk about sin. And there was the sin of sorcery. And of course, there is witchcraft and the, the Wiccans in our world. But I wonder if when God was looking at this idea of religion as magic, if he might not somehow indict the way that you and I sometimes look to him as though he were a, a lucky rabbit's foot, a, a good luck charm. And Lord, I'll do this for you and then you'll do this for me. And we're disappointed if we don't always get what we want. Is that part of that sin of of magic that he talks about there? He talks about adultery and Jesus said it's not just the act but also the attitude. It's not only uh, the sin of the action but it's also the look, the prolonged second look that is tantamount to adultery. He takes them to task, doesn't he, for perjury and Alan Dershowitz at Harvard said this is probably the one felony that is most committed in our country lying under oath he he took them to task didn't he for defrauding their laborers of their wages the way we treat our employees is something the God of justice cares about 
He cares about those who oppress widows and orphans, he says. God cares about them. Melanie and I had time this week to watch that movie, The Slumdog Millionaire. It's an interesting movie, The Slumdog Millionaire. It's a powerful movie. It said, we always read, you know, under PG-13, it said, disturbing images. Melanie called my attention to it. I said, well, let's just see. And so we watched the movie, and there, if you've seen it, there are some disturbing images in it. Not the least of them, these children who are orphaned because of religious hatred, and then who find themselves living living in a, a dump, and there in that dump, they are picked up. It looks like hope, that there's hope on the side of the van. If you remember on this yellow van, hope. And they offer these children cold drinks on a hot day. And then they begin to train them to beg in the streets. They blind one boy after teaching him to sing. They take a young girl and, and uh, sell her into uh, the sex trade. And you look at all of this and these are disturbing images But what would be even more disturbing is if we were not disturbed by these things. Natalie Grant, the Christian singer, has gone to India where there is so much of this going on. She says she will never forget the look of a seven-year-old girl looking through the bars where she was being held captive. And she was literally, Natalie, sick to her stomach to see that. But she decided to do something about it, to begin to adopt these children and, and bring them out of that lifestyle and take them to a safe Place. God cares about the widows and the orphans. I saw a brochure from Texas Baptist Children's Home this week and grateful for what they've done for our family. I was reminded about how many children in our world are abandoned. I had lunch with a good friend this week. I love to hear him pray because he always says, God, we need to tell you how much we love you. Then he told about a child he had adopted in another country. I I believe that God will testify against these sins, but I also believe that God wants to rectify them, that he wants to change them. If you would believe it, I believe he wants to use us to do that, that God has a way of bringing justice in this world. As N.T. Wright has said, he wants to set things right, but he involves us in that process Think about Jesus coming to rectify the wrongs when they were oppressing the stranger in their gates, the alien who lived among them. And Jesus, in Matthew 21, verse 13, enters the temple. Isn't that what Malachi said? First I will send my messenger, then I will come myself to the temple. And the day Jesus came to church was an interesting day because he walked into that court of the Gentiles where they were no longer making room for the Gentiles and the foreigners to come and worship God. And they were making that a place where they exchanged money and they sold and bought sacrifices. And Jesus came whip in hand and turned the tables over. He came to rectify the wrong because he cared about the alien, the foreigner who lived among them and wanted them as it had always been intended to have a place of worship. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Let that be said of Tallowood. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you, he said, have turned it into a den of thieves and God cannot be happy with us leaving The others who do not share our culture and our language on the outside looking in. This is especially true in Houston. 
Paige Kelly tells about a little country church and a little country community that was boarded up and a little boy and his parents would go to church every day and they would pass by that church and the little boy asked, he said, why, why do we have to pass that church? Why is that church not open? Why do we have to go to another church? And his parents told him this story and he related to Paige Kelly that, that years before in this thriving little country church, everything was going well and a a family from another country moved into the community and started coming to the church and some with their xenophobia were so put off by that that they decided to have a business meeting and have a vote and say, this church is for Americans only, they said, only for Americans. This church is not for anybody else. They passed the vote by a narrow margin and then things in the church began to change. And over a period of time, One could have written over the doors of that church, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. And eventually nobody went there to church anymore. God either writes Ichabod over the the frame of the church, the glory of the Lord has departed, or he writes Emmanuel, God is with us. Let it be Emmanuel. When I watch the way you minister to those who come to visit our country, I was once a, a, a stranger in a foreign land and the people there were very, very kind to me and it set the pattern for my life and I love the way through tell that you teach others the English language and also teach them the love of Christ. This is great ministry. Come some afternoon at one o'clock when you, when you get out of Luby's or wherever you eat, come back at one o'clock and watch the Sudanese walk joyfully into their place of worship or just take some Sunday afternoon and go to the Burmese fellow and share with them. They love to eat together. I was there and had a front row seat when a three-year-old girl who'd been in the United States for three days ate her first cup of ice cream on your nickel. And you didn't do anything better that week than give that little girl that cup of ice cream. She started dancing for joy in circles over there in our gym as she ate the ice cream. And I wept to see that all nations can find a home in this place. You you want God to set things right? Then join Him in setting things right. Join Him in the work of ministering to the widows and the orphans. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, this is pure religion and undefiled before the Father. This is just as good as memorizing the scriptures and singing songs of worship. He says, if you care for the widows and the orphans in their distress... That is very near to the heart of the heavenly father. He not only comes to rectify wrong, but he comes to satisfy those who are oppressed. He cares about the stranger in our gates. Hear me when I say every country needs uh, a, a policy for, uh, for immigration. and They need to be able to enforce that policy. That Every country needs that. But every church must love people from all over the world to be true. The church of Jesus Christ by definition is an international community of those who share this one most important thing in common. We love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. And God invites us to be that kind of church, to love in that kind of way. And when he does, this is the great news. Our God comes. He comes to purify his people. He he comes um, to testify against Sin, but listen when I say this God who hates sin loves sinners. I almost left verse six out of this. My, my translation uh, breaks it there and starts a new section, but I read verse six this week and it says, because I never change, God says, because I never change, you are not consumed. 
The news is our God is a fire. The better news is He is a refining fire. And this God who comes to purify and to testify and to rectify and to satisfy also comes, Romans chapter 3, to justify. He sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Why? So that He might be both just and the one who justifies. Oh, He is a just God. And He is the God who justifies. And He is our only hope. So if you and I are looking for what we're going to do about sin in our world, and we look a little closer and see the sin in our own lives, my counsel to you is to fall upon His mercy, to accept His gift of grace, to realize that we can never justify ourselves. We can never justify our own behavior, much less justify anybody else. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, Praise God, we have been justified once and for all through one sacrifice through Jesus Christ. And the only thing you and I can do, sinners like us, fall upon His mercy. We say we want justice, but what we need is mercy. Will you pray with me? Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. For we have sinned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.